All right, we are live right now on the Twitch and the Facebook, and you can go follow us on uh, Twitter right now on uh, at W Tim Sean at Squid Sports Ed. I almost tied my tongue there trying <laughs> to say that. Uh, of course, I am your host Sean Garvin. Here with me, as always, Mr. Eric Watkins. Ah, so apparently we did have a team of destiny, just not the one we anticipated. I mean, we technically we did have two teams of destiny because the end of a cell won one, and then you know we had an interesting one uh, for the MLS side of things. One that I think it's weird because for some it's maybe the villains of Major League Soccer. To others, it's actually a big boon for Major League Soccer. So uh, we'll we'll discuss that. But um, yeah, sorry, we we were gonna do a show, and I had a car accident the same night we were gonna do the show last week. Um, I'm okay. My daughter's okay. Uh, the car is not okay, but we're still figuring that out of what's, what's going to wind up happening with that. Uh, so I don't want to get into details, really, um, spend too much time talking about it. We got a lot to talk about on the show. Uh, if you want some kind of sort of rundown, you can check out, uh, our, my previous episode of Video Games to the Max, not the Game Awards one. Which that one's really good. You should go watch or listen to that. But the one we did with Randy talking about our honorable mention shows, whatever, I did spend a little bit of time at the beginning uh, talking about that um, when it was a bit fresher. It's been a week now. I really don't, I really kind of just want to get this over with, whatever's going to wind up happening so that uh, we can move on and, and uh, you know, figure out what's going to happen from here. There is a lot to talk about on this show, as, as I've said about already. Of course, we do have new champions of Major League Soccer, and we, sh- even though it's a little bit old, just you know, a couple of days old by the time you're listening to this, it's still a pretty fresh thing as far as New York City FC, the boys from the Bronx, as John Champion so mm-hmm. eloquently put it, um, the the team that shares their name with Manchester City, and hey, to their credit, is on Manchester City's website that NYCFC. Uh, have the big uh, the big win, and you know it's uh, cool to see that you have you know a team that a lot was co- sort of against them when you're when you're talking about playing in you know they were dubbing it Soccer City USA in Portland that entire mm-hmm. fan base out there days before to get bracelets to be able to sit in certain sections. I mean. They were ready. They were ready for this to be the crowning achievement of the whole Cascadia region when Seattle has been the darling of that entire uh, thing for so long. And Portland had felt like they lived in their shadow. And it was not to be uh, for Portland on this afternoon, basically, because they don't play this game at night for some reason. They play it in the afternoon. Yeah, tough watching when I'm trying to look at MLS Cup Final and Army Navy. Don, we got to have another chat, Don. Seriously. Eric, how dare you be watching the other football while you're trying to watch this? I try to appease both, you know, foot in both worlds. You know how I operate. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Just, uh, you know, just, just, we, we should, uh, uh, we got we got to keep it real, folks. You know, we do watch other things. We are uh, passionate about other sports uh, as well. Um, so, you know, I, I can't take my. I wanted to take my little th- my thing off so I could y'all can see the whole picture behind me. But 
Um, that is Sean Johnson, the captain of your city FC, getting to raise that MLS Cup trophy, the first one ever for NYCFC in their history. Um, big deal for them. And, um, you know, as a neutral, it was different to watch, right? Like, I'm so used to watching games as – I usually don't watch very many games as a neutral. I usually have some kind of vested interest that of all the different uh, leagues I have a team, and I'm usually – I, that's usually the way I follow that league. I watch highlights of other games as a neutral, but it's different to watch highlights, right? Yeah. Um, than watching an entire full game. And so it's interesting to watch something when you don't, ha- when you're just looking at these players and watching this game. And and honestly, it was weird. It felt like Portland wasn't at home for the first, you know, half and and further of this game, Eric. I mean. NYCFC was taking it to him. And I have to admit, for everything that Portland tried, you especially look at, and I said this all throughout when we've done previous shows about playoffs, the theme has always been set. When Castellano scored the lone goal up for the longest time, perfect execution, a little bit of a lucky bounce going in off of the post, even fans in the gym, in the stands everywhere, it was deflated. And Portland... They kept trying, they kept pushing, mm-hmm. they kept pushing, but it was always just that little bit away for the longest time. It really wasn't until the dying seconds of regulation, NYCFC thinking, one hand on the trophy right there, exactly. all they have to do is clear a corner, and nope! Portland's like, all right, now we will go ahead and make things interesting. Yeah, Steve Clark probably thought that he was going to be the goat, the scapegoat of... The entire fan base, uh, technically a little bit on his part uh, for letting that uh, Castellanos header go in. Great header by Castellanos. Oh, it was. Down, go back. You know, as always, you want to hit it back the way it came, the way the goalkeeper came. So perfect from his end. It goes right underneath Clark's, you know, hands. He's able to get fingers to it, but he can't completely get it out. And it goes in. So NYCFC, like you said, is is on the, the front foot as we go to halftime. And Portland comes back out. And, you know, I want to say around the 65th minute, they start making some waves forward. They're able to get going. Uh, but both teams kind of played to don't want to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, don't want to be the one that allows something to happen. Uh, and it really, to me... Uh, you know, I, th- I thought it was really playing in NYCFC's favor for the most part. I mean, uh, Max Morales, who you thought was going to have to come off uh, with that injury that he had, he was able to stick through it and played really well. I thought um, uh, the other Morales and, and James Sands had a terrific game uh, as well in that, you know, center midfield area. You know, as far as essentially, they were uh, terrific. And I thought Gray going forward on the right side was uh, really good for NYCFC. Um, as well, honestly, Sean Johnson really didn't have a lot to do uh, with the, Portland. Really didn't have any kind of opportunity. They had some, you know, you could call it shots on goal, but none of those were anything that I'd have to be worried about. It was all, you know, pot shots from like 15, 20 yards out. You know, uh, Mora had that one off a free kick where he got free and his foot just barely couldn't touch um, the ball, but. Like you said, it really wasn't until you got to the the dying seconds. Literally, the whistle was going to blow if that ball went out of bounds. And NYCFC was going to be lifting that trophy right there in front of all the fans within the regulation. And nope, 
Felipe Mora off a of deflection is able to get it in. And wow, talk about drama at the end. You're going to extra time now. What a finish. You know, it's a, it's one of those like March Madness finishes. Like, wow. You know, yeah, basically, so- it's like the buzzer beater. It's like, yeah. oh, snap. Wait a minute. Exactly. And, you know, you're at home now. You're thinking, oh, my God, Portland's got all this momentum. But, you know, to New York City's credit, they went through the same thing with Revolution. Mm-hmm. Remember Paige on Buchanan getting that that last, not not the same way, but with a few minutes left, but very similar vein. New England had tied that game up, and then they go to penalties. Same thing here with NYCFC, even though Portland was really knocking on the door there a little bit more uh, in extra time as NYCFC was a bit more ragged. Ronnie Dyla didn't make a sub until around the 80th minute. And I really thought he should have brought on uh, Tadria Shiri earlier because he was really moving them. And he played well against New England as well. I thought, um, you know, that we would have seen more from him. It's really weird. We didn't get to talk about it, but that uh, the game against the Union, Union fought their hearts out with, you know, so many starters out missing 11 players due to the COVID protocol. And, you know, it's really sucks that they, they had to go through that. Um, but, you know. Especially the way that they got there after their thrilling win just yeah, to get exactly. to that match against NYCFC. And hearing that, it's like it was going to be initially touch and go for that game even to go on. But they're like, all right, we have a team. Nothing else scheduled. Like, I mean, man. to be fair, they yeah. really can't. That's hurting NYCFC to reschedule that game because of, COVID protocols that, I mean, yes, I don't know how much of that is you could have avoided or not. Right. Uh, That was never really brought up as to whether it was necessarily the fault of the union or not. It was just kind of one of those like, well, are we going to reschedule the game or not? They decide not to. And man, you put them really at a big disadvantage there. So either way, NYCFC still went out there and they won that game. They got to this game. They fought till the end. They May uh, Portland made it work for it there in that extra time, like I said. Um, had a few, I don't, I still don't think they had anything that was totally like, uh, other than the one Chara chance, I think. Yeah. And and I was going to say outside of Chara, but really, especially the second half of extra time, even though they weren't good chances, you wouldn't put a lot of XG on it. Portland was like, okay, the longer we're in this, the more we wear down that back line the more we're going to try to get something. And they had a little extra composure, especially with Valeri coming on. The talisman last game of his career is like, all right, I'm going to work whatever magic I can getting the ball forward and can do. It just, again, that close, but never fully enough. Yeah, and it was a very telling stat that the difference between how Portland plays when they are ahead to the point to how Portland plays when they are behind. They do not like to chase the game. They have never won under Severici while they chased the game, and that continued with this game as well. So to put that another in the loss column. They had only, I think, lost five times when they're mm-hmm. ahead at the half. So difference with those two teams. I I hate uh, you know from one Venezuelan to another and in in telling what uh, Severici what to do. But I feel like if you're going to talk about you know, your legendary player. Weird that you wait till almost the end of the game to bring him on. You don't, you, you late, waited a long time for him. I thought Medina should have come on a little bit earlier as well. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is on that front. Penalties, both teams have an equal opportunity. 
And I think NYCFC having that previous experience in these playoffs of going through that, I think really helped them here. Sean Johnson made the one save that counted against uh, New England, and he makes the first two saves, very much like what we saw with Andre Blake against the Nashville. I think it really put Portland on their heels, including one by uh, a save on Valeri himself. Uh, to credit to Steve Clark's credit, he makes one save, but then after that, NYCFC get smart to it. They start just absolutely riveting them into the net. And mm-hmm. Collins' last one, I mean, what a statement to just almost roof that thing. To yep. Make sure <laughs> NYCFC uh, get the win, and yeah, I mean, they did it. They did it against all the odds. You're playing in Yankee Stadium where the Yankees don't want you. You got to play in Red Bull Arena where the Red Bulls don't want you. You have no home, basically. And you go out there and you win the damn whole thing and put pressure on that city. Uh, you you do it for the Man City group. Um, I forgot which one of the owners actually flew out there to go watch the game. Uh, so credit to them as well. Oh, no, yeah, because I remember they had the shot of him and they mentioned that he had flown in from St. Yes. Petersburg just yeah. to see this particular match, which honestly, if I'm like part of NYCFC, I'm thinking, hey, even though we're part of the group, they're really respecting us now. So, yeah. I mean, they had come earlier in the early in the week and they said they were committed to MLS and, and to NYCFC. And I mean, now you kind of just proved their point. You went out there and uh, to, to their credit as well, they kept trying, they found, they kept finding great international young talent. Um, and none of that was more evident than the six different flags that uh, between Rodriguez, uh, Castellanos, um, I forgot who else is. There's like two Uruguayans on that team. Uh, like just the different kinds of, you know, where they come from and to come as a unit and play together and do so well. I mean, that's a that's a great thing if you're MLS to, to mm-hmm. have another new champion, what, the 14th different champion that the league has had now, and to be a team that you don't know what to do with them. Uh, you know, Don Garber just had the State of MLS address that we'll talk about right after this. Uh, one of the questions he was asked was the, what about NYCFC? Um, the city is making it difficult on them. The Yankees are making it difficult on them. Supposedly they were supposed to have a pitch, and that's because of, you know, a problem with a parking garage that is owned by another company that owes debt to the city and to the Yankees. That caused a problem. And then uh, I think uh, as late as this year in July, no, supposedly this is also on NYCFC. They've given them no kind of proposal at all. And now uh, the Yankees uh, person says that it's kind of dead in the water at the moment. So We'll see, but perhaps this win, and now when they go through the festivities and everything, and uh, seeing that Hammerstein Ballroom, a place that I've known for wrestling shows, you know, uh, the old ECW and WWE packed. and everything else. Packed for the that watch thing, party. Yeah, exactly. Packed for the watch party. Ticker tape coming down. A uh, pretty cool moment there uh, as, like, the underdogs of, of the New York. You know, Red Bull, yeah, they play over there in Harrison, New Jersey, but they're supposed to be the team. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's almost like the Giants and Jets situation, you know, uh, the Islanders and Rangers. It's it's NYCFC is that that the, the Mets, they're the Mets of the of, of the situation. So 
that's great that they go out there and they get that win. Listen, I know there's a lot of people that don't like NYCFC because of, you know, who owns them and all they play in that terrible Yankee stadium and the, the configuration is such a terrible thing for soccer. And I get that. And I don't like that either, but they got to do with what they got to deal with. Right. Oh yeah. And it is what it is for them. They got a terrible situation they have to deal with, but they went out there and they won. And that's what, what matters, uh, Eric. I mean, any thoughts on, on the team or I, I, I mean, game or? honestly for a game, I anticipated the entire time, like most MLS Cup finals, very taut. As you said, teams not playing to really make those mistakes. They capitalized, they rewounded well, and this going to be so many comparisons with Orlando because we came in the same year. But honestly, you earned it, NYCSC. Celebrate it. Congratulations. You're a worthy champion. Yeah, certainly. And, of course, this state of MLS address was done you know, the week of the MLS Cup final. So it was not done after the game. It was done before this. Uh, Don had a lot to say about a lot of different topics. I'm going to go through the highlights here. And then Eric, uh, Eric, once I get done with the highlights, if you, anything you really want to discuss, uh, we can uh, talk about it here. I'm going to try to go through these quickly. There was quite a lot okay. um, in this here. so I will save uh, my anger. Go right ahead. Yeah, bear with me here. So, Austin FC sold out every game in its first season in an inaugural club. Very good look for Mr. Precord after all the stuff he had to do uh, to leave Columbus and, and get the team there. And the way the Q2 stadium looks great. And we saw it for that, um, you know, U.S. Men's National Team game. Uh, MLS Next Pro that has been announced now. So now there is a complete pathway from your reserve team, your young team, to your second division they're calling it a third division, whatever, second division, all the way to MLS. There is now a direct pathway. Uh, if you don't play in MLS immediately, you can now play in a second division against other second division MLS clubs, a reserve league, if you want to call it that. And, you know, you can go from the youth team to there. That is going to start next season with 21 clubs, uh, 20 MLS, two teams, basically with eight more teams joining, I think, in 2023. There will be more independent teams. The first independent team is the former Rochester Rhinos. Uh, now they are called, oh, man, I can't, Rochester City. And it's a po one of the owners is Jamie Vardy of Leicester City. So, uh, interesting. He was, on, he was on MLS Extra Time, talked about it and everything. Uh, so very interesting on their part. Uh, the MLS diversity hiring policy has been revamped now. Um, so uh, that is a uh, very good for MLS as far as making sure that, you know, as you continue to be diverse in your league, you're getting more black players. You're getting more, uh, you know, obviously the Latino players have always been there. That has been always been a source of where you get the talent, Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, all those places. That has been a place where you've gotten talent for Mexico, uh, but you are getting more, you know, you've gotten the players from Africa to form, but now you're getting more of American black players. Mm -hmm. And it, you need to have those, that talent go into the coaching ranks as well. And this is what they're trying to do. Uh, not make this, you know, the honorary Rooney rule like the NFL has or used to have. Uh, oh, they still do. Yeah, which is very, um, you know, you can easily bypass that. But MLS has really made this a bigger thing. Uh, you know, and of course, Robin Frazier, one of the best, 
you know, coaches coming up in, uh, you know, he's the coach of Colorado. He was on the uh, ESPN team for the MLS Cup. A fantastic year for him. But they're trying to make this a bigger deal now. So um, now you have to have your finalist pool that you have to tell the league about has to include two or more candidates from underrepresented groups, which includes everything you would consider a minority in the United States. You know, Black, African-American, Hispanic, Latino, Native American, Pacific Islander, Canadian, uh, since, you know, we have the three Canadian teams, uh, women and members of the LGBTQ community um, as well. Um, You also have to make sure that you do an equal process for everyone and you have to validate that. So I'm assuming you have to have video or some kind of recording process so that the league can go over that. So um, that is great as well to make sure that you do have a diverse hiring policy. And that is, and there's big violations that go from $50,000 to $100,000 and beyond as well for several offenses. Um, it's good that we have this. It's not gonna be foolproof, I'm sure. There are waivers. Uh, so we'll see how well this works, but it's good to know that that is a thing, you know, I'm sure. Oh yeah. For something like this. And as I said, someone who's always underrepresented, you get the argument to where if you see someone who looks like you doing something that you want to do, it's going to push you more into doing it. And with all the culture around soccer in general here in the U S MLS is really taking that step forward and saying, yes, We are going to have this to where it's for everyone and everyone gets a chance. So I'm giving MLS, I'm giving Don some credit for that one. Got to give him credit for that one. Yeah, and I think now with the MLS Next Pro where you're going to have chances of teams being further inside your inner cities and Mm -hmm. you can see, you can go from one step to the next of seeing, you know, your, your kid possibly or your friend or, you know, somebody you grew up with. Oh, go yeah. from the U team to that next step, and you can actually watch them, as I'm going to talk about here with this MLS TV, MLS Rides TV package that is due uh, to be decided in quarter one of 2022, is now going to include everything, Eric. There is no more parsing stuff out to this person and that person. It's going to include everything. So MLS Next Pro, digital streaming rights, national rights, and local rights will all be in one package. So this is much more like the NFL. This is not going to be like MLB, NHL, and basketball, where they have the problem with the Valley Sports, where Valley mm-hmm. Sports is stuck on like two different providers, and you can't watch half the damn games because you don't have access to that. Not oh. going to be a problem. <laughs> with, uh, oh. you know, I, I have this problem with, uh, thankfully, ESPN got the rest of the hockey stuff because I have this problem with the Mavs. I can't watch them. Aside from when they're on national because Valley is terrible. But what I'm saying is Panthers fan in the middle of lightning territory. Yeah. You know, my pain. I'm sure that's a, that's a problem too. So like, um, you know, as you experience, we've all, I think gone through this. If you watch any kind of other sport besides soccer. So this is much more like what we're going to, what we see in the European side now, you know, like those rights all go to this one provider or maybe two providers that they split the package. Uh, like, you know, what MLS has right now. Um, But it's not going to be like, oh, well, you're going to have to deal with the former Fox Sportsnet and how you're going to watch some of those games and all that, whatever. It's all going to be in one place. Hopefully it continues where you don't have to buy, like, the MLS Direct Kick or whatever again. So 
and it keeps uh, like I love the ESPN Plus thing. I love the fact that oh, you can yeah. go on ESPN Plus and watch all those games if you want. Um, so that is that is great uh, in that way too. So again, in one package, you'll be able to watch if your MLS next your MLS uh, next pro team. Which uh, let's see what not that we need to be looking at here. The the next one. So here are um, the teams that, that are in for this year, right? Um, so Dallas is in on my end. Orlando is in on on your end. Miami is also in. So yeah, it looks like DC is not uh, in for for this year. But you know, Colorado, Dallas, Houston, Kansas City, Minnesota, Portland, Salt Lake, San Jose, Seattle, St. Louis, uh, and Vancouver. And then Toronto, Rochester, which is the independent team that I talked about, uh, Philadelphia, Orlando, New York City, New England, Miami, Columbus, Cincinnati, Chicago. Those are the teams. Um, and in 2023, you'll have the others, the Atlanta, Austin, Charlotte, D.C., L.A., LAFC, Nashville, and the Red Bull. And then there will be more independent teams to get to join as well. So they're not going to just end it there. They're going to keep adding teams. So that's good, too. So that league may blow up even more than MLS itself. But that's a reserve league, so it's kind of okay. Well, I mean, Um, if you look at it, and especially those, like, we talk about the Premier League. Think about it as, like, Premier League 2. That's sort of equivalent. Well, the championship, right? Well, well, no, not even the championship. Specifically Premier League 2, which is the Premier League's reserve teams. They don't necessarily play in the championship or whatever. It's their own sort of like a ring fence organization and MLS is doing the same thing. So I like that they're getting on board and that they're including independent teams as well. So say you don't have the markets like you would in the USL, even though you're creating like a third division structure. So competing with like USL League One along those lines, but you're still keeping it to where it's not entirely isolated, but you're still honing in your talent, everything else. So I right. like what they're doing on that end. Yeah, so it's not completely isolated, like you said. There is a president of the league, mm-hmm. Charles Alcheck. Actually, Ali Curtis went from being, you know, a big time guy at Toronto FC to be now being the senior vice president of competition and operations for MLS Next Pro. And then uh, there will be 24 league games, and eight teams are going to make the playoffs. So, and Adidas is also going to be their big sponsor. So again, there is there's a lot happening here. And a lot will be happening. I, you know, don't know if any of these independent clubs are going to join before 2023, but you already know there's a plan. Right? And oh, yeah. The next year after that, there is going to be more teams added and, and everything else. So that is uh, pretty cool that along with the MLS season, this next pro season will start. And then, you know, when the new TV rights deal and starts in, uh, you know, after this season that comes up, you will have that all-in-one package, uh, who knows who's going to have that when uh, when you get to whoever is going to have those rights, right? Um, oh, yeah. As, as Jonathan is letting us know, he is happy about uh, NYCFC winning, uh, like winning on Bolas Island on the, <laughs> the, the game show there for, for Eric. So, yeah, you know, that's not all that uh, Mr. Garber had to say here about the state of the MLS. He did have something to say about the biennial World Cup as well as we've talked about here. He says there is no practicality to it in his view. It dilutes what is the best sports event in the world and it hurts the league, hurts the players, hurts our clubs. Uh, It's not worth it. Uh, In order to 
grow the populated sport around the world. He has he went on to say that he does not think that we should be basing the popularity of soccer in the U.S. on World Cup cycle. Like that's not the only way to grow the game. He he said that you know having he noted that the reason why they're they he really wants to stop at thirty for a while for the MLS is that MLS isn't the only league that exists, and he knows that that there are a hundred different soccer teams, pro teams, uh, if you include the next pro and everything else, that are going to be around now. Think about that. Like, how do you possibly continue to expand? And then how is this whole structure going to keep working? And so he says, you know, this allows stability for the league for a while. Mm. And, and you know, we'll see how, how that true that holds. You know, he seemed very adamant about the fact that um, he wants to stop at 30 for a bit when mentioning other uh, other cities like Phoenix and San Diego, which are supposed to be in the running with Las Vegas, but Las Vegas is the clear front runner. And he basically said, they're number 30. We're just waiting for stuff to, to get settled here, uh, and we're going to announce it. But he said that years, like five or 10 years, when we don't know what's going to be going on, is it possible that there's more expansion to a 32 or beyond? Maybe, you know, there's a long time in life, you know, hopefully this league's going to keep going. I may not be around, but there's a very good chance that there will perhaps be more expansion. So I can't just say, oh, we're dead at 30 and that's it. But he meant he seemed to make it seem like that. As far as he's concerned, he's not going to be pushing beyond 30 uh, for the time being. Uh, so, I mean, that was another big thing is that Las Vegas is pretty much that's going to be the thing for the 30 teams. And, you know, Charlotte is going to join next season. They already have 20,000 season tickets sold already. They're going to play in the Panthers Bank of America Stadium. And it's going to be a situation like Seattle, um, unfortunately, like uh, Atlanta. There are no plans for another stadium. They're going to basically make this work. Uh, at Bank of America Stadium, and let's see how it goes. It's not going to be like Nashville, who will move to the Western Conference and also begin playing their new stadium. We'll we'll see what happens uh, on the Charlotte end, if there ever is uh, a stadium for Charlotte itself. Uh, the MLS All-Star Game is going to take place in Minnesota. There's no format, uh, so there's no commitment about it being uh, Liga Mekis again which I really hope it is because, man, that was a heck of a game. Uh, I really hope that it's Liga Mekis again, but we'll see. And there's no change on the Real Salt Lake ownership situation right now. There is multiple owners interested. So he says that they might have something figured out by that Q1 time again. But right now, he has nothing to report on that end. Quite a lot there in that entire MLS address thing. Anything that really stood out to you that you want to talk about that we haven't already? All right. Um, I'm not going to hate on Vegas like I hate on Nashville. I'm getting that out of the way right now. It's going to be very interesting to see how Vegas transforms from being an event sort of a city to a sports city. Well, I mean, look, uh, what? The, the Oakland A's want to move. Yeah, right, the A's uh, are looking to move to and Vegas. And he's also the owner of San Jose, the San Jose Earthquakes. So he has a little bit of a soccer background as well. Um, and he did, you know, wish them well and everything. But he says that has nothing to do with whether they decide on Vegas. They're pretty much already decided on Vegas. So you already have the hockey team. 
You do. Uh, that are already do that are doing well. You have the Raiders that, you know, they're doing what they're doing in the league right now, but their stadium is ridiculous and uh, oh, yeah. pretty awesome looking. Uh, you have the A's that are potentially moving, and then you have MLS. I mean, all that's left is for one of the basketball teams to decide that we're going to move it to Vegas, which, I mean, I guess I think there's already been rumors about. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's. You know, I've been talking in different places. Word on the street is Seattle and Vegas are your two likely expansion teams for the right. NBA. So we've already got it to where you're going to embrace. The, the Knights were embraced. The A's could be embraced because Vegas has a good history of minor league baseball. The Raiders, NBA, not so much. You're still in late. Right, but NBA is such yeah. a big, you know, it's <laughs> right. such a glitz and glamour. You bring the right players to the Vegas. You right. can necessarily have a team adopt there. You know? So I, I, I'm thinking maybe if Phoenix down the road, and I'll get to that next, you get that natural rivalry. I think it could work. I'm willing to give it more than a chance. But Don, Don, do not sit here and lie to me. You know, like I know, you're sitting there looking at 2026, how everything happens after the United Cup, and you're going to be thinking, well, I know I said this back in 21, this many years, but it's the perfect time frame, yada, 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 yada. So don't anybody who goes to 30, they're immediately, for one reason or another, going to look at 32. I know you, Don. I know you're the same. But again, I'm giving you some credit. Everything, especially with this TV deal that you're going to be working on, I hope you get that right. You've got the right framework for it. And if you're already going to still have the Campeones Cup, if you're already expanding the League's Cup with Liga Emeiki, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, I mean, it, he says, you know, the League's Cup is their version of March Madness meets the World Cup. So, right. And so know, if he it, has it, big plans for that. Yeah, so if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Keep the MLS All-Star game with Liga Emeikis. Further the rivalry, further the building. So, yeah. other than that, I mean, John, it, hmm. it's a guaranteed pack the stadium. The players care about it on both sides. Absolutely. Instead of having this, oh, yeah, it's cool to have Real Madrid or AC Milan or Barcelona or whatever come, you know, but it's a friendly at that point. I mean, it's still a friendly, but they treat it as a big, huge friendly. Like, you have the teams basically switch out completely. Yeah. Uh, Barcelona might bring, like, a couple of stars and, like, the B team. And and then at that point, it's like, it doesn't matter, right? It's a, a – a lot of people don't – I mean, it's going to be a talking point for a day or whatever, but it's just – it's not the same to have to have that. It's not the same to, to – like where people – there's not an intensity – there's an intensity on the MLS side, right? Oh, of course. There, there's an underdog look to it or whatever, but there's not an intensity on the, the, the European side that comes or whatnot. So Yeah, it's just part of their preseason tour. It's business yeah, as usual. It's, it's not – I, I really, really wish they would keep it to the Liga MFP, uh thing because the way we saw that game unfold, Woo! you want to see that. You want to see that become a, and continue to be a thing. on. Uh, so that closes the chapter of the 2021 season for Major League Soccer. Uh, we will be obviously still talking about news as, you know, you get into the draft and uh, you get into how they move teams. Um, you get into how we're uh, changing certain aspects. We've already talked about coaches being moved and, and changed 
And there was another coaching uh, decision made. Uh, Lucha Gonzalez actually is not totally out of a job, Eric. He <laughs> is now basically replaced Nico Estevez on Greg Berhalter's team. Lucha Gonzalez is now part of the U.S. Men's National Team of Greg Berhalter. Of course, he has, um, you know, a lot of experience coaching Jesus Ferreira and Ricardo Pepe and many of the other talent that is part of the FC Dallas system as youngsters. And then Nico Estevez, who also has the same, the same coaching experience, is now the FC Dallas manager. He also has experience in Spain. He is a, you know, a Spanish by uh, birth. He coached the Valencia Reserve side in July 2013 and also had a stint with the Urucan Valencia in La Liga B uh, from 2011-2013 where he took them to the playoffs twice. So he has a little bit of a different coaching experience from Lucci Gonzalez, but still that same FC Dallas system kind of thing. So, uh, you know, as expected, the hunts don't change anything about what they do. Still going for the cheap. And, you know, all signs right now are still pointing to Ricardo Pepe. They're hoping he stays, but Ricardo Pepe has officially put in a transfer request this time. Uh, the latest team to want him now is Atletico de Madrid. I don't know about that because uh, you got some decent talent you're going to learn from. We sweat is uh, Korea and everything, but is he ever going to get a game? I don't know. So it's, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of time with their beat. Especially the way that yeah. they are up front. I mean, technically, they they're supposedly had to deal with Wolfsburg, but Wolfsburg never can deal with FC Dallas. They want somewhere between thirteen to fifteen million for him. Let's see if somebody pays that, because you know that's a steep price for you know somebody that's only been in MLS and in through MLS's youth team. So we'll see if somebody wants to pay that when we get to January. Well, that's how things stand right now. Good to know that my team, FC Dallas, has a coach. I don't really know what to think of them because, again, it's in that same system. Is Are we really going to get better from what we're doing under Lucy Gonzalez? Ah, well, you know, you can go from things getting better to obviously getting worse uh, for another U.S. men's national team standout. Uh, Jesse Marsh, uh, unfortunately, was let go as manager of RB Leipzig after 21 games. In three competitions that he was in, he went 8-4 draws and nine losses in a span, winning one game out of his last seven, including getting bombed out of the Champions League. Of course, he was in a group of PSG and Manchester City, so that was always going to be a rough one, Eric. Um, he also had weird meetings with the board about whether or not he was actually to be the coach or he was the right coach. That's a weird, weird thing to be talking to the board about. Um, that really makes you wonder if you should be the coach. And then that obviously makes the ownership group go, well, maybe we need to get this guy out of here faster than we initially planned. At least that's that would, what I would think. Also, remember the players had dust-ups with him about his playing philosophy and actually forced him to play more of Julian Nagelsmann's style for a period as well, which you don't really see that a lot from your coach. You're supposed to be hard about the style that you play and getting to either making the players fit that style or figuring something else out that fits those players. It seems like he was doing neither and the players weren't having it. So either way, um, now uh, Mr. Tedesco is in charge over there uh, for Leipzig, but really a weird time for Jesse Marsh. I, I mean, it really is. <clears throat> 
And you kind of wonder what was on Leipzig's mind because with all of the praise about, oh, with the Red Bull system, with Leipzig, Salzburg, New York mm -hmm. here, and uh, Red Bull Bragantino, he was part of that Red Bull system. They had yeah. an experience within that. So you figure, okay, he knows how this works. We know how he works. We give him a shot. So coming in, having those meetings, number one, questionable to say the very least expectations again should have been tempered we already spoke about what was in champions league not quite the group of death but for a team like leipzig if you finish third that's about right and then the results in the Bundesliga, yes Bayern munich on another tear you still got dortmund and others but it's like there's a lot going on kind of behind the scenes it sounds like to where even if certain things had been achieved, there were too many questions that really shouldn't have existed. So you kind of right. wonder, if this was how it's going on, you may be surprised he lasted 21 games. I am hearing this. Yeah, it was always going to be uh, a tough one for him. And, you know, he was supposed to be the golden child, like you said. You know, came up through Red Bull New York. They did well there, got Splinter Shield there. Uh, you know, won titles. He won championships at Salzburg, won mm -hmm. cups at Salzburg. Yeah. And then, okay, Julian Nagelsmann leaves. Okay, the next guy up, Jesse Marsh. And so, and he's got Tyler Adams there as part of his core, an American player. And um, actually, Christopher Nkoku was playing really well under him. He was the one scoring all the goals. I mean, the dude had, I don't I remember, I don't remember who it was against. But he had a fantastic Champions League game. Might have been against Bruges. But, like, seriously, they were kicking butt in certain games. And then Koku was getting a hat trick in games. I mean, they were doing well at times. But other times they were just not playing well at all. And I think it was just that loss to Union Berlin just ultimately did him in. Like, what you know, a very low table team. You're 11th in the table. I mean, you're only like five points off the top at that point. But, you know, you knew you were going to lose in the Champions League. Uh, credit to Mitzlaw for kind of understanding that. And I'm expecting him to pull a miracle there. Right. But it was always going to be hard. It, it feels like they set him up to lose. They brought in Silva, which helps, but they let they let uh, shit go. And look what he's doing for Leverkusen. And they let Upamecano go. They let uh, Konate go. I mean, that's rough. You're losing your, two, your center back bearing immediately. Like, that is not something, I mean, that's something people don't, I mean, I know people that watch soccer get this, but if you're like listening to this just as a, you know, whatever, one of the key things, it's like, think about it at football side, you know, the other football side, you know, losing key parts of your offensive line or, mm -hmm. or, you know, or your defensive line for that matter, or just looking at it as uh, losing your, your core rock center in basketball i mean even though we don't really have true centers that much of basketball anymore like that is your rock like your foundation and you lose that and you have to all of a sudden change how you play who you put there you know schick is a guy that scores goals uh with czech republic and with leverkusen to all of a sudden now i mean i know he was a lone player you decided not to sign him for leipzig but that makes a big difference so you know it's that's a lot of change and that they didn't help i thought jesse marsh at all there but you know what's weird eric is that you know he was a prized guy at red bull mm -hmm. so there was a lot of rumors that well jesse marsh is just going to go join ralph radnick at manchester united 
But no, 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 at least not right now. The assistant that he chose is another Red Bull product, Chris Armas, former Chicago Fire uh, legend. And, you know, he did not have a great stint with Toronto FC last year. They were like six months, then got sacked. Um, was part of the Red Bull system as an assistant coach. Doesn't have the greatest CV. And he's your guy that you're using to kind of push your system in a place that doesn't necessarily always care for Americans. What do you think about this? Ah. Uh... I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say this is another situation that's set up for failure, but you've really got to wonder who's sort of making decisions. And well, like, obviously, Mr. Ragnick is making this. He's this is his backroom staff, right? This is well, his, yeah. I mean, yeah, this is his backroom staff, but it's like, okay, you know, you're there is pretty much a stopgap. You're defined right. and trying to make your move because. You're eventually moving up, as we discussed, into that consultancy role. So it's like, yes, they don't necessarily favor Americans. The Glazers have pretty much taken care of that ideology. So it's like, how much do you feel you're really going to be able to do? And how much of this is really carrying over? Yes, you have your great CD. Yes, you're trying to make your imprint and all these things. But it's like... You're kind of walking a very fine line here, especially given everything that's happened in the last couple of years. And it's very easy to trip up when things keep not going well. Yeah, maybe Chris Armas is better as a number two. But it may just be that whole mentality of Ralph Rennick. You know, like, Ralph Rennick is not a guy people were just after. I don't know what he did. I mean, he's he's great at talking. I mean, every time he does an interview, I'm just like, Wow, he he is really good at getting his point across and talking about control, and he lo- he is great at spinning uh, like how the team played and and what they need to do and all that stuff. Like he really has an idea in his head of mm-hmm. okay, this is the way the team's supposed to play, and when they don't, I know what they did, and I know what they did wrong, and this is what what happened. And you know, he's very good about you know, obviously he's not going to call players out or whatever, but. Like, again, he's he's very good at getting his point across. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what he did with the Man United board to do that, to get him this job. And he's talked already about he wants to stay in the job, if it's possible. And it may just be that, like, underdog story, that feeling of, like, well, nobody wants us. Nobody wants you either, Chris. I want you on my team. We'll be we'll be the, 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 the two guys nobody wants. And we're going to prove them wrong, you know? Um, so... He's, of course, remember that Ron Radnick was the uh, head of everything for Red Bull at one point. So he had, he kind of had control of all three clubs, uh, Red Bull New York, Red Bull Salzburg, and Red Bull uh, Leipzig. So he knows Chris Armour's from that time. You know, he knows he went to Toronto and all that stuff, but he still wants him on his team. On his team, it's weird. You know, you would think it's Manchester United. You would go find some assistant manager with a big, Big long CV, you know, that you can have there in the case something happens. Uh, somebody that you know you think the players would take seriously. So interesting, interesting choice. How much it matters in the end, I don't know, but yeah, just interesting choice. Well, good, good for uh, Chris Armas, you know. Oh yeah, Ameri- American getting getting some so, some big time a big time move. I mean, that'll be the move of his career probably. I mean, think about that. You go from only thing you really know about is MLS, MLS, MLS to Manchester United already. Like that's it, it, it's that's shaping crazy. up. It could be tremendous, or at the very least, something other clubs will look at. I'm rooting for the guy. I'm hoping he does well and can use this as a catapult. 
Yeah, for sure. So before we move on, you know, we'll talk about the Manchester United situation at the end, as we always do, and our Manchester United moment. Uh, but we have a few more things to get to. Last thing about the U.S. men's national team here before we uh, move on to talk about a little bit about NWSL. Uh, U.S. men's national team, we didn't get to talk about this. It was a much bigger deal. would have been last week um, because right after we did the show, literally hours after we did the show the last time, the U.S. men's national team squad to face Bosnia and Herzegovina, yes, it's a friendly, so it doesn't really matter necessarily. And it, this shows you in the team that was picked by Greg Berhalter, obviously. Also, you know, it's uh, the winter period. So many games happening in Europe. This is more of an MLS, uh, U.S.-based squad. So, you know, get ready for that, uh, I would say. Get ready for uh, that to be the case when we're looking at uh, these this squad here. So uh, I'm going to – let me see if I can I can pull it up uh, so you guys that are watching can see it as well. I should have had this uh, ready to go already. But, you know, when we're doing things live sometimes, that's what happens. Um but let me see how this looks when you pull it up here. Uh, and y'all can't see Jack there, I'm sure. So let me see if I can move this. No, I can't. Apparently. So anyway, that was my terrible way of uh, being able to show you our, our what we're doing here. Um, but anyway, if you can perhaps read that. If not, uh, you're listening. That's not great audio. Either way, we'll just read it off to you if you're listening. That way you know what I'm talking about. So here's your squad for this friendly against Brazil and Arena. Uh, Gabriel Salina, who was also part of the U.S. Uh, under-20 team that went to the Revolutions Cup over there in Mexico. Um, he's here with John John, uh, John Pulskamp, who's from Sporting KC. Uh, Salina's for Chicago Fire and Matt Turner, obviously. Uh, probably Matt Turner is going to start, so don't even have to worry about seeing Selena and uh, Pulse Camp here, because obviously, even though you're playing a friendly, you still want to win. Uh, defenders: George Bello, who we've seen previously; Justin Shea for F Place for FC Dallas. Cool to see him. Jonathan Gomez, dual national. Let's see if he actually plays. Uh, Kobe Henry, who's part of the USL Championship winning Orange County SC. That's right. I said that. <laughs> Henry Kessler, also from the Revolution. Brooks Lennon. It's been a long time since we heard of Brooks Lennon. Aaron Long, finally coming back after that long injury. Uh, Kevin Paredes, you should know a little bit about him. Eric from DC. Um, Brian Reynolds coming over from Roma. He's not getting any time with uh, old Jose Mourinho, so at least bring him in to get him a look at here. Austin Trusty, who we really haven't seen with the team since 2019, plays for the Colorado Rapids. And Walker Zimmerman, of course. Uh, you got to have one standout guy that uh, Mr. Berhalter trusts. So good to see that he is going to be around. Uh, of course, speaking of people that Berhalter trusts, Kellen Acosta, one of those big guys as well. He's going to be around another Colorado Rapids guy, Cole Bassett. Uh, Johnny Cardoso from uh, Internacional in Brazil. Christian Roldan, another one of those guys that Berber Holter loves. Jackson Yule, I thought we weren't going to see him anymore. He is back again. Uh, Taylor Booth from Bayern Munich 2. Caden Clark, Kate Cowell, two youngsters uh, from Red Bulls and Earthquakes. Jesus Ferreira, Ricardo Pepe, of course. Uh, Jassy Zardas, another beloved uh, Berhalter guy. And Jordan Morris coming back to the team after the injury. So. I'd imagine that we're going to see Jordan Morris for sure. So 
interesting team there. Mix of youngsters, obviously all really U.S. based talent there. I mean, what do you think when we're uh, we're talking about that? Oh, see, this is what happens. I had it look locked on. Uh, I had it locked on the other screen, and I'm sorry if I was showing y'all nothing right there uh, the entire time on video, but. Um, yeah, I, I figured with my screen it would be easier to have it to a zoom, and I had to step away for a quick second. So. Oh, okay, you were showing. <laughs> right, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so even though I think I did not have that shared in the end, so I'm not sure. But anyway. Well, I luckily I was able to push it and had it zoomed in a little bit, so a bit of better reading for our podcast viewers. So. <laughs> but all right. Um. So, like, any thoughts on this uh, this young team here? I mean, for something like this where it's a friendly, I like it. And especially for those like, you know, Justin Che or Kobe Henry from, as you mentioned, Orange County SC. Guys that are coming in probably wouldn't get anywhere near this level of experience otherwise. But it's like, hey, maybe for down the road, maybe get exposure for some of these guys. They can make moves to some bigger clubs or some in the MLS. A little bit of that experience in the off time and... I mean, honestly, who knows? Maybe for thinking down the road, hey, if I need maybe a teeny bit of extra depth, I can maybe consider these guys or for like a gold cup or something. So I I like the idea. I really do. Nothing really glaring about the roster. And for something like this, that's a good thing. I really do hope we get to see Jonathan Gomez. Mm -hmm. Um, He may go to Spain because he's recently joined the Spanish team, which can't have a team right now. Um, And not... I'll be a part of this game, but we don't know yet. I would expect that we're going to see Aaron Long since it's been so long since we've seen him uh, playing, especially because he was supposed to be part of the uh, the setup, mm-hmm. you know, for the longest time. Um, ah, I, he plays at uh, Real Sociedad B. Okay. Uh, in, the, in the second division of uh, La Liga. So he recently joined them over there. See, he may be going to Spain and joining the team instead of being part of this game. But we'll see. Hopefully, we do get to see him. Uh, If not, I would expect that George Bellow probably starts at left back with Brian Reynolds at right back. But we'll see what happens with uh, Mr. Berhalter. I'd imagine Color Acosta is going to start. Wouldn't be be surprised if it's both Acosta and Roldan. And maybe he takes a shot at, uh, you know, Cardoso or something. But we'll we'll see what happens there up front. I'd expect Ricardo Pepe to start mm-hmm. uh, with Jordan Morris and perhaps Fred Ada, or I would hope he gets to take a little bit of a shot at one of the youngsters, you know, Cal or Caden Clark or something, uh, so we can at least see them and not just do the the Morris Pepe Tardes uh, contingent. I mean, it, it that's probably going to be the start, but I could see someone like. Kyle Clark coming on maybe halftime around there early in the second half to get those key minutes? Yeah, I mean, I just hope he gets uh, some of these youngsters a, a start or something to get him a little bit more time in the game. Obviously, you can make, I think it's like six changes, or I think it's even mm-hmm. more, right, in the friendlies? Nah, um, sure. I, I don't think they've changed it from six in international friendlies, but maybe that's something we can look up. Yeah, most of the international friendlies have been, they were canceled when the pandemic happened. So that's, you're probably right about that. that They haven't really changed uh, much of the, how many you can put in. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but yeah, either way, you know, Saturday. So when we do the show again, if we don't do a, you know, after show, and when we do the show again on the next Sunday, we'll definitely be talking about that. So you'll get our thoughts pretty quickly uh, after the game there. Uh, just uh, pretty quick here before we get to the Manchester United moment. Uh, NWSL, Rossi Louisville did hire a coach. I'm not going to say I'm super familiar with him, so we'll just leave it at that. It is a male coach. Uh, he's coached uh, female, women's teams in Sweden, China, and uh, Cyprus was his most recent um, <laughs> location there. Excuse me. Um, I think his last name is Kim, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so... That's cool. Good to see that uh, more of these coaching vacancies are getting filled up. You know, with everything that's been considered, uh, weird that, you know, we are still getting male coaches getting hired. Um, I'm sure that those folks that hate that kind of thing have already voiced their concern uh, about that. I'm Um, just going to leave this to the vetting process. Yeah, they did do an extensive, extensive background check on him, supposedly, so... That's that's all we can say. We got to go by what the team decides uh, at that point. Uh, but the more important thing for NWSL is more crazy movement going on. Uh, Alex Morgan is going to move from your Orlando Pride, Eric. Um, although she's really hasn't made that many appearances in the last couple of years for the team. Uh, between playing for Tottenham. In the offseason and then playing Orlando, she made 20 appearances last season. 15 for Orlando, 5 for Tottenham. 5 goals for Orlando, 2 for Tottenham. She's going to San Diego Wave. So the San Diego Wave, uh, she, apparently her husband you know, plays down there. So better for her to be closer to him. But she's going to be a, a big promo star, certainly, at least on the marketing end for San Diego Wave. Uh, if she gets to play, that's even uh, better for that team. So San Diego Wave looking good, at least on on Star Power right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a good move for Alex. Thank you for all your time here in Orlando. Definitely prove show off, show out. And with a lot of these women's national team players unprotected heading into the expansion draft, you're already seeing San Diego making moves. You're going to see Angel City making similar moves. So... Your SoCal teams are going to be built up, as you said, star power, star power, star power. Yeah, so we saw Carly Lloyd retire and leave Gotham, uh, NYNJ Gotham. Ali Krieger and Ashlyn Harris are also going to go over to Gotham now in exchange for draft picks. So uh, two good uh, gets for Gotham there. Uh, and Krieger and Ashlyn Harris and a very solid, uh, fantastic goalkeeper, good uh, defender as well, so defender slash midfielder. So... Yeah, good move for Gotham. Let's see how much that helps on the playing end. Um, and right now, we're just waiting. Uh, we've waited, and it's going to happen this week. So, again, by the time we get to the next um, show, we'll have had the expansion draft, which happens on Thursday, and then the draft, the actual NWSL 2023 draft, which are both happening remotely due to the um, what's happening again with the pandemic, Omicron, has taken over, even though apparently it's less lethal, it's still infecting people at a rapid rate, uh, and especially those that have been vaccinated. So get those boosters, folks. And, uh, yeah, we'll be able to talk about both what happened in both drafts. And even though there's a lot of protections, Eric, there's a lot of uh, trades happen to have full protection or partial protection, so 
you know, it's good that these trades have been happening for San Diego and Angel City because don't know if there's going to be a lot of n- names that are going to be leaving their teams to go join the, aside from those trades that have already happened. So, uh, well, I can, mean, and especially with any kind of protection rules, you expect one or two big ones and naturally have those kind of handshake deals somewhat in place. But right. it's good to see that they're still both approaching this in a good way. It's like, all right. We still get to build, and you're leaving us something that really we can choose from. So they're not going to be behind the eight ball when the season starts. Yeah, certainly. Uh, and then you're correct there. Uh, so this was more of a, a you thing here. The MASL has returned. Take it away. The Major Arena Soccer League is back. For those of you who loved and missed the indoor game, it has returned just about entirely full force. Last season only had seven teams. Teams only played on average about a dozen games. You had wacky playoffs, everything being affected by the pandemic, of course. You still had your crowning champion. My Florida Tropics were upset because of the stupid seeding system. Don't ask me why. San Diego coming back, defending their title. But now you're going to get more of a normal season. They've listened to me and they still expanded a bit. It's going to be 24 games among the 12 teams. It's going to be in line in three divisions. Some of your old hats that took last season off, Baltimore, Harrisburg, Utica City up in New York, Milwaukee, they're coming back. But Rochester, Monterey, and the Mesquite Outlaws, they're going back on hiatus. So there's still room for some expansion again there. You still have a Mexican team in the contingent, even though Soles de Sonora, league runners-up in 16-17, made the playoffs again the following year. They've unfortunately folded, but a new team in Chihuahua, the Chihuahua Savage. Oh, cool, Chihuahua. Yep, they're in, so they're going to be in part of that uh, West Division. So it's going to be three divisions this year, East, Central, and West. 18 playoffs, so your three division winners and your five wild cards. Still doing the best of two in all rounds, which I like. But for the first time ever, MASL is doing a little something different. They've finally gotten on board, and instead of going to a strict win-loss system, they're going by points. For those of you who are more familiar with the IIHF and ice hockey in the 3-2-1 system, it's going to be exactly that. Three for a regulation win, two for an overtime or shootout win, which Baltimore beating Milwaukee, the first overtime game in this, and one for an overtime or shootout loss. So MASL is catching. Well, the NHL kind of does that too, right? Um, not the three, two, one. They just do two and one. So even yeah. if you win in overtime, you still get your full two points, but only if you lose an overtime or shootout do you get one international ice hockey tournaments treat the three points for a regulation so you're starting to get more normalized and i hope the teams that came back from hiatus will be back next season you've got shep messing as part of your top brass oh wow shep messing yeah they made a lot of moves masl is getting very very serious and i am here for it welcome back Blast, I still love you, but hashtag let's get tropical. Let's finish our business from last year. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, something I'm sure Eric will be keeping his eye on. Uh, you know. 
They they have they they have the full game streamed and everything on YouTube, and they have their midweek and MASL prime time shows that go over the highlights and stuff. Give them a sub- subscribe after you subscribe to our channels, of course. But give them a follow, <laughs> and trust me, it's worth it. Very great action. Well, there you go for sure. Watch that MASL this year. More stuff to go check out in soccer land. So and, yeah, and don't forget the Dallas Sidekicks. You've got a vested interest too. So <laughs> yes, I need to go check that out. Dallas Sidekicks, gotta go cheer them on. So before we end this thing, we gotta do our Manchester United moment here. And well, interesting, interesting week. The first week for Rock Randick as the interim manager of Manchester United Football Club, and you have two wins in the league against Crystal Palace, which has been a team that's done pretty well, and Norwich, which is the bottom team in, in the league, and then you have a drawing movie against Young Boys, and it didn't matter. He actually played all subs, pretty much, and got to watch the entire team of youngsters you know, to play against Young Boys, and they did okay. I mean... Young boys, obviously, you got to watch a Jordan P. Folk play as well, which was nice. And uh, unfortunately, you didn't get to um, really – I mean, when you're playing amongst youngsters that haven't played with each other, you're going to get that kind of game where you're kind of putting out fires. But at least you got to see some play. That uh, was a cool thing. So, But you do have the compare and contrast between the two games. Uh, so Crystal Palace, I felt like they were more on the front foot, Eric. Uh, certainly surprised Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace wasn't at their best, though, I would agree. Uh, there, they had the one opportunity by Jordan Ayew. Aside from that, it was kind of all Manchester United. And really, United should have done more uh, than just score the one goal. It's um, That's one of those things that they really haven't uh, figured out yet. It feels like the problem with this 4-2-2 system is that when they get the ball back, they're not in always the best positions. And so it kind of seems like they're it's not a connection straight to goal. It's not a counterattack straight to the other end. It's like, oh, well, I'm kind of here in the middle of the pitch. What do I do? And a lot of times you'll see them just lose the ball again or they mess it up when they get into the box. And against Norwich, it was a different deal, though, Eric. Uh, Norwich really could have won several times. They had a lot of chance, several chances in the in the uh, second half that David De Gea had to make some ridiculous saves, including the last one. I mean, he was probably going to be offside, but De Gea had to literally keep it out, keep it off the line. Uh, that was a bit disappointing. Even though we did get to see Josh Chardon, I thought he had some decent moments. You know, if you're talking about Yusman's offensive perspective, but I don't know if it's still like kind of getting used to the system or what do you think? I think that's part of it because when you play this particular pressing style that Ragnick does. You have to know what to do and how to strike quickly, creating those better counterattacks or doing more if you still got to slow down and create that possession to set up a great chance. Right. The getting the ball back, we've got that part in a lot of ways great, except for, as you had mentioned, with Norwich, they still know how to break that press, how to go through, how to well, There's just a lot of space left behind with the fullbacks yeah. when they go forward. And you have guys that aren't, you know, we're talking about attacking players. We're talking about Rashford, Ronaldo, Sancho, 
Fernandez that are really not used to just like tracking back. No, and not covering. At all. They're they're guys that are used to kind of more being more up, stay up front and try to. So they're great, like you said, mm-hmm. at getting that ball back. But when it require when you get past that first line of the press, there's a problem. Yep, and th- and that's a big problem because this is Norwich. This is uh, Pookie and like I said, Sergeant and uh, Pookie had a one chance that. When you freeze frame his face, I, I think I'm going to like remember that look for like a while. Uh, he just has a face that looks like it should be on, on some movie where <laughs> you just replace it with somebody else's head after that. Uh, but honestly, they, sh- they should have scored several mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. and they just weren't good enough. But when you're playing so like, I think you need to be worried about when you play Brentford on Wednesday. When you oh, play Brighton Lord. Yeah. On the weekend, be worried. Because they have better teams. They have teams that know how to play together. They have teams that, um, you know, play in a more cohesive way. You allow that, you know, to happen where they get in behind, you probably are going to have uh, some goals scored on you that oh, they're yeah. not going to be able to save. I mean, they yeah, literally had to save them from conceding several times. And with a team like Brentford in particular, all they need is just that little bit of space. Mm-hmm. They can be at times so surgical with those passes and getting in like its center. And they will outsmart De Gea at some point, as you said. Yeah. He's not, he's going to be in one of those positions where he can't save it. And then if you give a team like Brentford in particular, Brighton as well, but Brentford confidence, they're like, okay, we can go out and turn this one point into three. And United still in that stage to where not fully being able to react just yet. So it's going to be a tricky couple of fixtures. Yeah, certainly. And I think the problem is also, you know, going forward, um, I thought Sancho's been great. I thought mm-hmm. Sancho's been the one player that from the Solskjaer to Carrick to Ragnick has really improved. You're seeing it a lot. You know, I think – uh Dallow is another player, the right back that is doing uh, pretty well as well. I mean, having to be in, Tellus is great on the, at least on the, the free kicks. He almost had that one going off the deflection in around the 15th minute or whatever. Um, he's good, you know, on the set pieces as well. Ronaldo's obviously Ronaldo. Rashford, I don't feel like, at least against in the game against Norwich, other than the one, uh, cross that he gives Ronaldo in about the 80th minute that just doesn't hit his foot right. He he had his head down half the game. He wasn't uh, confident. I did not understand the change for Sancho for Greenwood. Why would you keep Rashford in the game at that point? Take him out, put Greenwood in. Greenwood is yeah. a forward as well. Um, you like Greenwood. We know you like him. Put him in for the player that's not playing well. Exactly. That would have had just as much cohesion along as like that front line and anything else. Eh. But I think there is one problem. And I think I don't know if it's going to be solved when Pava comes back or not, but I think Bruno is an issue. Um, I think uh, you see a lot of people always say, oh, Ronaldo's a problem. Ronaldo's a problem. He doesn't press. He presses to an extent. Mm -hmm. I just don't think Bruno works in that second part of the 4 2 2. Sancho is fine. He has. Uh, the ability to kind of get back if he can, but he's still not a, a track back guy. But Bruno's just not that kind of player. And then lately, he has just been really bad about when he goes and, and tries to put in a ball. Most of the time, it's bad. 
and mm-hmm. he just gets winds up in a turnover the other way. I don't know how he's going to fix that of being able to have Bruno and Ronaldo on at the same time. Uh, but either you're going to have to play Bruno up front or you're going to have to not play Bruno at all. And I honestly lean towards not playing Bruno at all. Again, Pogba fills that void a lot better. Still wouldn't necessarily be perfect, but this is not the same Bruno that we've seen like during the start of the season. It's You could say they're changing systems, changing confidence, what have you, but it's just terribly visible. And if he is going through this being mentally or what have you, give him some time to sort himself out. Or if he doesn't, you move off of him entirely. Find someone else who would be a better replacement. But you're walking on a lot of thin ice the longer you keep him in here right now. Yeah, I mean, either either Ryan has got to change the system a little bit to make him more viable, whether you put him as a, in the number, a number 10 behind whoever you're going to start next to Ronaldo, um, or you're going to have to start playing Van de Beek there, or, or you know, probably when he comes back, or uh, even Greenwood there. Just he, he doesn't he, – that's not his game. It's not his game. It doesn't work with him. It puts him in a bad position when he's trying to put the ball in, and it doesn't help the team. There's no flow mm-hmm. there. And a lot of times he gets caught out as well. It's just – it's not good. I think he is more of the problem than Ronaldo because Ronaldo is still scoring goals for you. Mm-hmm. Number one, number two, he still does press some, and he is that clear forward man for you. Whereas you know, if you're going to get Rashford or Sancho, they're the guys that are crossing the ball into him. You've kind of moved. You've kind of made the the team around Ronaldo now because it's all about crossing into the box, and that's where he is at his best. That hasn't really necessarily worked out yet Mm-mm. because I think you're still having the problem where they're getting caught in no man's land when they're trying to go forward after they get the ball back. They're not being able to do that thing where uh, Radnick wants that it's like, oh, really quick, 10, 8, 10 seconds after you get the ball back, shoot. You had that one chance from Ronaldo against Norris where he got it and then he had to, he tried to put it on his left foot and then he shot it and it, it wound up being very weak. Other than that, you really didn't get much. Um, from them going forward much in the Maguire header or whatever. You didn't get too much there. So let's see what happens against Brentford and Brighton. But these are two teams I think they could really uh, either use cement that this works or they're going to make have to go, Mr. Randy, go back to the drawing board here. Uh, going to be two interesting games, one on Tuesday against Brentford and then one on the weekend against Brighton. We'll see. Going to be, I'm going to have fun. Going to be dreading it as a fan, but uh, going to be a fun one. Uh, the united Brentford one, I'm going to be torn so, so hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Brentford's the kind of that like team you want to root for. Well, not to mention I want to root for them. My wallet wants to root for them, but... Ah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, that is going to do it here for us. Sorry we went a little bit long. There was a lot to talk about here on the show. So didn't get to do the show last week as well. but. Uh, hopefully you still enjoyed it. If you did, let us know. You can always hit us up at Squid Sports Ed, at WTM Sean and let us know there on the just add us right there and we'll let us know. You can always uh, just go through and uh, go hit rate and review on whatever podcast thing that you'd like to use. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Google Pause, wherever it is that you want to listen to us on. You know, obviously you can watch us on YouTube or Twitch or on the Facebook page. 
And, you know, check out that last word on soccer. Check out theretendant.com. And until then, for Eric, for myself, we'll see you later, everybody. Peace.